man. How's your how's your day going so far? Day is great. I just had therapy. I'm drinking my fancy sugar-free Mexican chocolate coffee. You know, living the dream. That that's awesome. Well, let, let, let me make a formal introduction. Today we're on the Can Do podcast with my main man, Ethan Lipsis. Uh thank you so much, Ethan. Ethan is living beyond brain cancer. He's a host, a speaker, a, a visual artist committed to changing how we use the word love. And I got to tell you, Ethan, when I got your email last Friday, I literally fell out of my wheelchair because this is a guy I freaking have to be. Nobody's got a more can-do attitude than this guy. Kicking cancer's ass, using my favorite word, which is love, inspiring people every day got a biggest smile in the world i'm like this is great this is gold <laughs> this is gold so ethan tell me your story buddy tell it to me well, well first off i gotta tell you man if you fall out don't hesitate to text i'll be there in a minute santa monica's not that far you know i got you <laughs> i love it and you're used to you're used to uh getting on the floor and dealing with certain challenges and we'll get into you know the c word in a minute yeah, but dude. I know in this business of life, you got to be creative, and no one is more creative and compassionate than you. So it's a real honor today to have you on and just talk about your journey dealing with the C word, and then how you turned a unique opportunity into an incredible, uh, you know, uh, should I say, obstacle into an opportunity with, with what you've done. It's so motivating, man. Yeah, dude, thank you. Well, I mean, the story can start at any different point, right? I mean, I, I moved to Los Angeles in 2008. I was really excited to build a business. I was an entrepreneur and I was really interested in empowering other people to be creative. So I started this custom clothing company and it was growing and it was super fun and we were collecting fabric and putting it, allowing it uh, to be a, a tool for customization. People would customize clothing with these textiles we were collecting. And over the years, I got really into the business, but the business kind of got out of a way ahead of me. I, I realized that there was a period of time where I started to find myself less and less enthralled because we needed to shift. We needed to focus on where the money was. And my passion was more around where the creativity was. And those things didn't always line up. So right. I, I started to figure out, I, I was interested in a lot of other things. I couldn't just be running this business. I was a musician, I was a visual artist. I started going to conferences. And I went to this one conference where I actually met a former neo-Nazi. And he was talking about how he left neo-Nazism in Chicago when he opened a record store. And he started to connect with other people and realized that people of all different races and genders and backgrounds loved the same punk rock he loved. And he's like, I can't hate these people. These are my people. We all love punk. What's going on? So he left neo-Nazism and I was so inspired by his story. I raised my hand and I said, so his name is Christian. I said, Christian, this is so cool to hear what you did when you're talking all about how you get people to leave extremist hate, but how do you get people who are considering extremist hate to actually consider extremist love before they can even get to extremist hate? And this was just this kind of curiosity. I didn't know the answer, but I was like, you know, what do you think about extremist love? What does that even mean? And from the get-go, I 
just couldn't stop thinking about that question. He didn't have a great answer, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I started making these pins. And you're you talking about a guy who loved hate. He didn't know how to see love. Not until he opened this record store. Not until he realized that people could connect over creative passions and over what they loved, like music. So I started to ask this question. I, I, I was still running my business and I was running around town. I made these pins. I made these little metal pins that have the word extremist and a heart around it. And I started yeah, to pass them that. out. Yeah, and I'm wearing a sweatshirt with one on. And I started to pass them out all over, all over the world. And I got friends passing them out and everyone passed them out. And it became this big conversation. But I still was not sure. It was open source. Was like, what is a love extremist? And three years later, I was a, really sick. I was sick in bed with a fever and I had to leave work early and I didn't know what was going on. And in the middle of the night, I suffered a seizure in my sleep. I fell off the bed, uh, lost consciousness. My partner at the time came and found me unconscious on the floor. We went to urgent care the next day and discovered I had a brain tumor. Two weeks later, I was under the knife, had brain surgery. Two weeks after that, discovered that that brain, that brain tumor was cancerous. It was grade three anaplastic astrocytoma, a fairly rare form of brain cancer. And after that, I went, came back to LA. I was in Boston for the surgery, came back to LA and went through chemo and radiation, completely changed my diet, cut out sugar and carbs, discovered how to be in therapeutic ketosis to get going. So I would really help support the chemo by intaking less carbohydrates and no sugars and really try to starve the cancer. And in that process, I discovered what being a love extremist actually meant. And I learned how to love myself through the challenges. And I realized that in order for my survival to occur, I actually had to focus on love. And I had to focus on not only the love that was coming to me from my friends and my family and the support I got from doctors and teachers and everyone around me, but I also had to take that and hold it. And I'd never had the lesson of learning how to hold on to love. I was always taught, you got to give it away. You got to give it away. You know, like love is for everyone else. You know, don't be selfish. And in that moment, I actually learned that I had to learn how to love myself more deeply and hold on to it and nurture it within myself. And as I learned how to take care of myself, how to direct my attention and my time in ways that supported my health and my livelihood, how to build relationships with people who I knew I really deeply loved, how to set boundaries with people who maybe I didn't feel the love with as much. I started to recognize what it meant to be a love extremist. And I started to realize that in my internal kind of confronting death and confronting mortality, I could actually start to recognize what it looked like to live and how to live from the heart and live my true purpose and then bring that purpose of love for myself out. And it would, it would resonate. Other people would see it. You see it in my smile. People would feel it in the way I would speak. I started to paint cars. I found that I, my favorite thing was just, I had this dream. I wanted to paint a car and then drive it from Los Angeles to Cabo and back for New Year's. And I convinced my buddy Dan to come with me and I bought this cheap Honda sports car from the 90s. I painted it crazy. And we went down and made it to Cabo in two days. We got back and we had an art show and the art show sold out. 
And I became a visual artist. I, I started doing painting and people started to support me. So I learned that chasing these passions, these dreams that I had actually turned into spreading love in the world. And those two things were intrinsically linked. So I, I can go on for hours, but I'll start, I'll stop there. Yes, uh, I, I wanna go back to it because, uh, you know, when I got your email, I was just, again, so fired up to talk to you about it because love is my favorite word in the world. And I, I just love to give love. I love to get love. And it's got so many shapes and varieties and it fits people in so many ways. A lot of people look at love as like, oh my God, he said the word love. It's such a big deal. Um, but me, I, I love just, you know, being able to look outside or go for a walk and everything that you do, you can find love. And I say the word, when I say the word love, it automatically brings a freaking smile to my face. What does right. it do to you when you hear the word love? Whew. Well, I'm, I'm realizing that it means so many things for so many different people. So I really try to continually define love for myself. And that's a daily practice because love on Monday isn't necessarily the same thing as love on Tuesday or love on Friday. And so I'm constantly thinking about what does love mean and what does it mean within my body? What does it mean for my health, for my day? How can I be most loving with my time and my attention? How can I be loving with my relationships? How can I connect with new people like you and build loving rapport? But I also think there's the hard stuff and the challenges of love and the realization that heartbreak and sickness and even death and pain and grieving and getting out and, and advocating for people who are struggling or advocating for our own struggles is a form of love because it's confronting things with the truth. It's showing up and being honest about where we are and the struggles that we're having and not glossing them over with just the joy and the sunshine, but really approaching them with compassion and with an open heart and saying, you know what, things are tough, but I can, I can, I can approach this from an open place and I can open my body and I can be bigger than I think I am. So for me, I think when I, when I hear the word love, I think about expansion. I think about getting, getting bigger, just physically and energetically. So with all the challenges in the world today and people, you know, uh, we're in unprecedented times with COVID and, and everything else and, you know, you're restricted. What tools do you use to take a situation like COVID and turn it into love? Like if somebody is hearing this podcast for the first time, what kind of advice would you give them? Say, you know what, Ethan, that really is, that really is a great strategy. I want to adopt some of these practices. Like, what are the top three things that you would recommend or like, how did it happen for you? You went to such a shock, I'm sure, you know, and having cancer to all of a sudden, you know, you, you're, that's a, the biggest life changing event you could ever have. So how did you, how did you deal with that? Talk to me about that. Yeah. I think, for example, right now you're mentioning we're in this unprecedented time and I would argue we are all having a conversation with our mortality. We're all facing sickness and disease and division. And there's just so much out there that threatens our species, really, and our, and our personal life as well. And so I think it's so important for all of us to take this advice that I got from a teacher, which is to recognize what does our perfect day look like? 
within the constraints of where we are, what would make our day perfect? What is the dream? And sometimes it's really hard to even think in that term. So maybe it's just, what's the best thing I could do in this moment? For me, it's cracking open this can of coffee and drinking it, right? I really love the flavor and I enjoy talking to you and having this beverage. So thinking in the moment, but also for the day, I'd love to ride my bike. I'd love to get outside. I'd love to maybe read the newspaper. Every Sunday, my partner and I go down to the Los Angeles River and we read the newspaper together. Certain rituals that you can start to bake into your routine. And those are rituals of, of self-care and well-being and self-love. And it's not just about pampering yourself. It's about recognizing what brings you joy. At the end of the day, I love to have a cold beverage. And I'm not a drinker. I don't drink alcohol. So I found all these great non-alcoholic, sugar-free drinks that I can enjoy. At night, maybe I make myself a tea. It's these simple things that you can do for yourself that can just light up your spirit. The simple, like things as simple as just washing behind your ears or between your toes, that feeling can be a self-love practice. So I encourage people to develop what's their perfect day and what are the ingredients, the simple, small ingredients, and then just to start to practice them every day. And then once you move beyond the self, it gets into how you can relate to others. So how could you share a practice of self-love with someone else? Maybe if you love coffee, you could buy your friend a coffee. Hey, Adam, I'm gonna send you five bucks on Venmo. You know, get yourself a, a coffee or I'm gonna have something delivered to you. I'm gonna send you some flowers. Think about how you can, and it doesn't have to be monetary, but how you can offer, maybe it's a message of love or a card or a piece of artwork or a song. How can you create something that spreads love outwards? And then the big picture is thinking about that in community and we can get to that later. But I think really it's interesting to think about what's self-love for myself and then what does it look like in relationship with others? I, I love how you, you break it down into simple terms because, uh, you know, making this shift or, or mindset can be overwhelming in the thing. You know, just like with me, when I started keto, I had no idea what the keto lifestyle was all about. I just wanted to be in better shape. And mm -hmm. I began doing research. I started out small. And I think that's really important with any kind of change that you do, you start out small and then it kind of grows and morphs into something bigger, like you're talking about every day. It's really cool that 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 attitude, that mindset of let's let's just build something small, whatever it is, you know, reading the newspaper, having a drink, you know, a, a beverage, just taking it, breaking it down into baby steps, if you will. Yeah, each baby step contributes to elevating your sense of love and connection to yourself. Yeah, that, um, that, where, where did where did this uh, talk to me about your family? Because my family has been so big in spreading love and joy. Uh, tell me where where does the love where where does the where does this come from? This creativity, this this love. I see the smile in your face getting ready to talk about your family. I love it. Go ahead. Well, I definitely come from a loving family. And I always felt, even before I got sick, that I had this crazy privilege of growing up in a family that my parents are still together after 40 plus years. I have a wonderful brother who I have a great relationship with. He's very different from me in certain ways and similar in others, but we, we love each other very much. 
and I found an incredible partner. But I find that I felt like I had this privilege that not everybody had. Not everybody grew up with a loving family. And so I felt a sense of responsibility to share that with the world, even well before I got sick. And so I was always encouraged as a kid to be creative. Whenever I had an interest in something creative, you know, my parents encouraged me to pursue it, to explore it. They supported me in getting musical lessons. I was always musical. I sang, I played guitar and saxophone and piano. I danced for a little while. I performed theater and I've always been interested in creativity. I also was a sports guy, played some sports, but my family really just supported me throughout. And they were always there to, to help me kind of, and also let me be autonomous. From the get-go, I never let my parents dress me. I always had certain ways of being that were authentically me. And they really embraced that too. They, they celebrated the things that made me unique. And so I'd say a lot of my relationship with my family really set me up in a way so that I was resilient. When I got sick, I was able to address it with love and, and, and recognize the hardship was no joke and it was scary, but I could get through it. And I had this incredible support structure of my family and friends to help me get through it. That's incredible. Growing up, you know, I had that as well. My parents, unbelievable. My brother and my sister are my role models. And it was always about, you know, we read the background. It's about what you can do and not what you can't. And, mm -hmm. and you know, looking at, I thought for me, every day is a gift, you know, and I never felt sorry for myself or why me. I took it as an opportunity. When people stared at me and asked questions, that, that, that means they cared. They just didn't know how to ask. Mm -hmm. So it was my, it's my role here to explain and to show love and to say, it's okay to be different. It's okay to be unique. And we all have certain challenges and it's how we take those challenges and turn them into opportunities and be positive about it because it, it's a lot more fun to, to have fun and to be excited about things and look at woe is me, you know? Well, and that's, it's interesting because I think when we experience trauma or challenging moments, the woe is me always comes up, right? Like you feel it at times and it's tough. And I think exactly you're spot on having those role models to help you transmute and alchemize and bring in the, the energy of like, you know what? Yeah, it sucks. But also like, let's, let, let's, let's talk about it. You know, let's get to know each other. Let's see each other as humans. Cause I'm sure you have things in your life that are just as difficult you being the proverbial you, right? We all have difficulty in our lives. And so I think it's, it's recognizing that those difficulties are actually the things that make us stronger and make us more interesting and make us more unique as humans. Right, I think, you know, it also builds character every day. I wanted to ask a question, obviously, uh, you know, so many people unfortunately deal with cancer, whether you're an advocate or you're an actual patient, having to deal with cancer and, you know, you know, there are no words to really prepare yourself for something like this. It just kind of comes on as a freight train. Unfortunately, I lost my wife in 2015 to leukemia. And I remember the day when she was diagnosed, I was just like, I was like, okay, we got, we got to fix this. We got to, we got to call every doctor. What do we got to do? How can I help? What can I do? You know, how can I be supportive? What, what advice would you give to somebody who is going through cancer right now or a loved one who is, who is, who is you know, trying to be supportive 
of, of somebody because so many people are dealing with, you know, cancer. Yeah, I think it's such a great question and a really important one. I never prescribe a definition of love on anyone. And I would also not prescribe an approach to disease on anyone. I think every individual has their own way of approaching their disease process and what they may be going through. So I can speak from my experience. I really appreciated it when people asked me how I was doing today, how I was feeling in the moment. And that kind of, let's, let's be in this moment. Where are we right now? And how can we together co-create this moment and make this moment special and memorable? Because like you said, every day is a gift. Every moment is a gift. Every breath we have together is a gift. And cancer is no joke. And cancer kills millions of people every year. And it may be the thing that kills me. That's okay. But at, while I have this body and while we have this time together, there is an opportunity to make the most of it. And there's an opportunity to be real and to say, what do we need to do to help cultivate a loving practice together? What does love look like for you? And I would say you being the person that's going through cancer or you being the advocate. If your family member is going through cancer, you also have to create a self-love practice. You need to get real with yourself about what you need so you can show up and be a good advocate, be a good supporter, be a good partner. I definitely um, struggled at times to articulate my needs. I wasn't used to saying what I needed. You know, it's not yes, easy. I was, gonna, I was gonna ask you, how did you know what you needed? Oftentimes you really, what happens when you get sick, I think, is your body gets more sensitive. And for me, at least, my body got extremely sensitive, especially when I was doing chemo and radiation and I was going through all of these procedures and I was able to tap into what my gut and my heart felt. And so I would think on something and then a question came up or an opportunity came up, I'd truly feel it in my body. And I'd get out of my head and let my body indicate what I wanted or what I needed. I remember one moment I was, I, I was experiencing seizures they weren't as bad as the big one I had when I was diagnosed, but I would get these small focal seizures. And I had one that was getting, feeling a little uncomfortable and bad. And I was alone in my house and I was realized I needed help in that moment. I didn't feel comfortable being alone. I didn't want to black out. I didn't want to have a full seizure. So I called a friend and he rushed over and ended up spending the night and just take, making sure I was okay. And I didn't have a, a, a bad seizure. And I remember after I called him, I broke down in tears because I had never been so vulnerable to call a friend and ask for them to help me. You know, maybe I would have felt more comfortable with my mom or my, my brother or my dad, but they were all on the East Coast and I'm here in LA. And so I had to reach out to a friend. And that was so powerful to have someone who was so willing and ready to just drop everything and come over and be with me and just be next to me while I was going through this moment. And he didn't have to do anything besides be there. So I think your presence in someone's life and your willingness to be there doesn't mean you have to take an action just to show up and be present and to maybe help get the mind off of it or you know engage and, 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 and bring a different spirit into the space is so powerful. And the actions come from there. 
Right. You know, actions speak louder than words, as they always say. And that, that, that's so cool. I want to get in, you know, when I got your email and I watched your video about what you're doing, I, I thought it was so cool how you expressed the love with the cars. What? I, I know we're changing gears. What, what, what got you so excited about painting cars? How did it, <laughs> you know? Great. How did you think of that? That's great. Yeah, so I've always been obsessed with cars. Like ever since I was a kid, I loved cars. And I ended up actually learning to hate the car for a few years because I studied urban design and architecture. And the best cities are the ones that aren't car dependent, right? Where everyone takes the metro or the bus or rides a bike or whatever, they don't take cars. But in my experience, when I got to LA, I saw all these incredible cars on the street and I just couldn't, I couldn't forget my passion. And I ended up getting back into cars. And I just found that all these cars have personalities. They're all like these little people almost, like a car is kind of an extension of the body. And I found that certain cars were more clearly extensions of the body than others, but I found that I really gravitated towards certain types of vehicles and certain cars, and I could find them really cheap on Craigslist. Like, you know, really cheap, you know, a thousand bucks, 1500 bucks for like a cool, funky old 90s Honda, right? And so, I just had this vision. I was like trying to think of my dream day, honestly, my perfect day. And New Year's was coming up and I was like, I want to do something scary. I want to do something that's a little bit of a risk. I was like, I, I have this extra cash. I'm going to just blow it on this car. I'm going to paint it crazy. It's going to be this expression of myself. And I'm going to go on a road trip and I'm going to document it and we're going to make art out of it. And it's going to be this experience that's going to be once in a lifetime. And it's going to spread joy throughout. And it did. Everyone who saw the car took photos. They smiled. They waved. We're driving through, you know, military checkpoints in Mexico. And the military are all like, oh, you know, we love the car. And I'd mess around because I speak Spanish. So I'd mess around with them and talk to them. Be like, you want to buy it? Give me, what's your best offer? And then we came back to L.A. And we had this amazing car show. <laughs> driving the car around the city. People are smiling. They're commenting. I've now painted seven vehicles, including a motorcycle and some trucks and a couple of Priuses and all sorts of cars, not only my own, of course, others. But um, I, I find that every time someone drives a painted car, it just brings smiles to people's faces. It, it just lights up people's day. And so to realize art can be this vehicle, literally, for joy and for spreading love with color it's just such a revelation. And so I, I really find that um, every time I drive a painted vehicle, it just brings more love to the world. And it's, it's an incredible discovery. You know, on your video, you also talked about like how you drive the cars with the windows down because you, th you know, everybody in LA has always got their, you know, their, their walls up and it's just like everybody's in their own little world and you've opened up this this platform of love, happiness, and joy. How can you not be excited? It's the greatest. I, was, <laughs> I just I was, love it. I was driving around two days ago and a biker was like, man, I love your car. And then another guy is like points at me. He's like, yeah. You know, it's just like having interaction on the street, especially in LA. There's so little interaction between us besides honking our horns, you know? Right. And okay. usually honking your horn is with a negative connotation, like, fuck you, you're in my way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know? So to be able to do it and have this kind of celebration and connection is just so fun. And it just breaks down barriers and walls. It's really interesting to see how art can connect us. 
you know, you've got podcasts, you've got speaking engagements, you've got the cars, you've got artwork. What, what have you found in your experience has been the greatest medium median to really show love? Or are they all equally beneficial in their own way? There's so many different flavors and I'm constantly discovering different ones. I started a program before COVID called The Outer Net. And it was actually um, this experience where I'd get people together in a room, we'd wear blindfolds and we'd sing. And whatever came out was great. You know, like you didn't have to be a good singer and we would just let whatever come through. And when you're blindfolded, you're not thinking about what people are thinking of you because you, you can't see them. So you're just singing what's coming through. And I found that that was this incredible way to bond a group and to just connect, create this connection amongst people that sometimes were strangers. So that's one way. I find hosting conversations and just being able to hold space for people to share vulnerably and openly is another way. I have a Love Extremist Club on Clubhouse, which is an audio app. And I get people in there and we have amazing conversations about all sorts of different aspects of love. And it's super vulnerable, beautiful space. And then, yeah, the podcast has been great. It's very intellectual, but it's great to have these conversations and engage. And making art is more embodied, right? It's like the brushstrokes and the colors are almost this like fixed thing that can communicate love just through the brushstroke, through the art. And so I think they're all valuable. And dance is another one. I mean, co-creation, co-creation in conversation, co-creation in music, co-creation in art, co-creation in food, right? It all connects, I think, to spreading love. You know, and, and what's really important to that, and I'm stating the obvious here, is you're doing it with people. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're allowing people to be vulnerable. And I think that's a really therapeutic process in showing love or healing, you know, you know being able to express your feelings, you know, Absolutely. is cri critical, critical. Absolutely. And you're allowing people to have a platform to do that, to get it off their chest you know, to, to, to share whatever they want to share. People have so many feelings in so many different directions. It's just, it, it's, it's awesome. Um, let me see. Uh, growing up, uh, who were your biggest role models? Yeah, this is a good question because there's a lot of different elements of it. Um, I always admired artists and I still think artists are the first that come to mind. Um, I grew up in New England and the band Fish was really instrumental for me. Yeah. And the, the musicians in the band, have I've always admired them. I've had the opportunity to meet uh, Trey, the lead guitarist and singer um, a couple of times. And I've always admired, he has a love extremist pin and I've always admired him as an artist in the way that he leads his, his band and his music. I also really look up to visual artists, um, people like Keith Haring, Vasily Kandinsky. Um, uh, there's so many artists that I, I admire and um, you know, Helen Frankenthaler, Morris Lewis, Sam Francis. Um, I, I'm learning about all of these different artists and, and studying their processes and, and learning how that they express themselves. Um, I'm also, really look up to activists and um, the Kambaki River Collective, which is 
from Boston um, who were kind of socialist, uh, feminist, um, queer feminists um, and, and black liberation uh, activists in the 60s and 70s. Um, now, modern day, you know, we have people like Patrice Cullors and Alicia Garza and the, the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, my friend Richie Reseda and Indigo Mateo, who have this amazing organization called Question Culture. Um, I think about just so many people who are leading conversations. I just had this incredible conversation with Valerie Kaur and Baratunde Thurston, who are leading the People's Inauguration, talking wow. about reclaiming really love and revolutionary love. Valerie talks all about revolutionary love and how we can bring revolutionary love into the world. And it's just like love extremism. It's really the same thread of recognizing our shared humanity and seeing each other and being able to grow together as a species, as a people. So there's a lot, I got a lot of role models. I, I look up to you, Adam. You have built an amazing product. You have an incredible story and what you're doing and sharing can do stories in the world and, and elevating our voices together is just super inspiring to me. And I'm just grateful that you reached out and we were able to connect. No, like when I got your email and, and thank you very much, you know, I, I, I'm so excited. You know, obviously the bar itself speaks for itself and I'm honored to be able to be on a team like Keto Crisp where we can create a bar. But one of the things that, that fires me up and gets me so excited is it allows a platform for me to meet people like yourself and engage and, you know, connect positivity. Because I believe, you know, like we all do, success breeds success. Positivity mm -hmm. breeds positivity. And you always want to be around that atmosphere of positivity and joy. And we talked about it earlier. You know, you know, it all kind of works together. And it's a lot more fun when you're around people that are having fun and showing love. And I'm not saying every day is, you know, peaches and cream especially now, but, you know, if you have five to six days out of the week that are, you know, good, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. You know, and, and, and even five to six, five to six hours out of the day, right? Like yeah. you can kind of, you can choose where to focus attention at times. And sometimes if you're really having a tough day, it's like, cool, well, I got to get a pick me up. I got to figure right. out what it's going to do to kind of shift this. And even yesterday, I remember I was having a tough day and it was like, you know, I called a friend, you know, or, I, I, you know, took a walk and these things can flip, you know, you can, you can start to shift your, 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 your feeling. Definitely. I, I have a question. It talked about your role models. If you could have dinner with anybody who you haven't met yet, who would it be and why? Oh my gosh. Not all day, buddy. We got, we got. I know it's such a good question. And I, I knew you were going to ask me this and I've been like thinking about it and I'm just going to say like first thought, best thought. Um, I would love to have dinner with Neil Young. And the reason I say that is because I think Neil Young is an incredible storyteller. Neil Young is not necessarily like the easiest person to get along with from what I understand. He's got, you know, a bit of a personality. But I would really love to hear his stories and learn from him and just, just sit and, and have dinner with him. That said, uh, there's a lot of other people who aren't um, you know, successful white men who are really interesting to me as well. So that was the first one that came up, but um, there's so many incredible characters and people who I'd love to have dinner with. So Neil Young so, is the beginning. 
So now that we talk about food, one of the things that I'm passionate about, how did you hear about Keto Crisp? Oh, man. So I live in L.A., and you live in L.A., and we have yeah. this crazy grocery store called Erewhon. Yes, we love Erewhon! <laughs> we love Erewhon! It's crazy because, all right, when I started being in keto, there wasn't, it was 2018, 2017, actually, I went into deep ketosis, and I had to work with nutritionists and find special recipes and it was wasn't easy like i figured it out but i had to really go into uh, a program and have support and help and as i've kind of moved out of therapeutic ketosis but into a low carb ketogenic diet that i maintain i realized there was a lot of food that was starting to pop up at erewhon that was for keto diet and keto crisp was one of the first products i found that i really loved the bar, especially because I love the combo of mint and chocolate. It's like peanut and butter, you know, like <laughs> mint and chocolate is what's meant to be. And so, and crispiness, like it was everything I wanted. And, and there weren't that many great keto options at the time. And there was the best bar on the market. And I'd always buy them when I went to Erewhon. And now I live on the east side of LA. We just got an Erewhon in Silver Lake, but I can get keto crisps now at Sprouts and all these other markets. So I discovered the bar and now I absolutely love it. I, I bought some packs online. I was like trying to figure out the best price. So I started buying the whole bulk, you know, getting them from your site. I'd get them from Amazon. I'd get them from wherever I could. So uh, I just found that this, this, this bar just kept me going through the day. I like to have a snack during the day. When you're keto, you usually don't eat as much. So I usually have kind of like a couple snacks. I have a drink in the morning, a couple snacks, and then a big meal for dinner. And the keto crisp is a go-to. So I just, love the product and as soon as I, I heard about this opportunity to connect with you i was like yes this is my this is my jam <laughs> well it, it's been a real honor for me ethan you've taught me so much your attitude's infectious um i i love what you're doing to reach out to so many people especially now in this crazy time everybody needs love and more love and really how to understand love not just use it so arbitrarily you know just it's just great, and I love the different platforms that you're doing. I think it's 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 great with with the car. I know driving around, I've got my van wrapped in keto crisp, and yeah. people honk and wave, and it's I'm throwing out bars left and right, and it's just it's so fun. It's just it, it, it's great, man, and and I, I'm just so honored to have you in my life, and and, and you know I uh, it's it, it's great, man. It, it, it's awesome. Well, I have a feeling this is the beginning of a, a long relationship and friendship, and I'm just so honored to meet you, Adam, and grateful for what you're doing, and especially this podcast. It's going to be really, really powerful for people to listen to. No problem. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm working with a pro. I'm, I'm getting, getting a little better every day with my podcast. What's the biggest advice you could give me on doing podcasts? <laughs> um, make sure your guests promote, you know. Yes. Um, you know, have them, have them get the word out and ratings reviews, you know, everyone that's listening, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes, go in there, log in and type out a review. Just talk about what you like about this podcast. It can be two sentences. It can be two words, but something that really encapsulates your feeling of this conversation, because that's really going to help the podcast grow, especially on iTunes. That's where a lot of the podcasts get their clout. Going forward now, Ethan, what's next for you? So I'm really interested in focusing on bringing love extremism into the mainstream. 
And one way I'm doing that is working with corporations and, and organizations and brands. And I have this thing called the Love Extremist Lunch Hour, which is a workshop where I'll go into a, a company or an organization and will engage their employees in how they can define love on their personal terms and then bring that love into the workplace. And it's not about romance. It's about how can we work as teams and see each other and support each other in productive ways. And so that's one thing I'm really excited about. I'm also working with some TV networks on Twitch. I'm doing a YouTube channel this year. So I'm putting out a video every week on the Love Extremist TV channel. Um, and Clubhouse is blowing up. We have a community of 12,000 growing by almost 500 people a day now. Definitely want to talk to you Clubhouse, and like we got to bring in you and your story and Keto Crisp onto the Clubhouse platform because I think there's a lot to do there. So just excited for this year. There's so much opportunity and people are starting to realize how important the love extremist message is. So I'm just grateful to be here and to be able to share my story as much as possible. Well, I think that's great. Of course, Ethan, you know, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll never forget that that email that I got 10 days ago saying how honored you were to be uh, connected with Keto Crisp and the feeling is mutual. How do people get a hold of you going forward? You got you got so much joy and passion. Everybody needs Ethan in their life. How do they get a hold of you? <laughs> well, so there's a couple different ways. If you want to check out my art, it's just my name, EthanLipsitz.com. And you can contact me through there. Um, if you want to check out Extremist Love, it's www.extremist.love. And I encourage you to sign up for the newsletter. And then I'll send you an, a weekly newsletter with all that's happening on a clubhouse, on YouTube, all the things going on in the world. And then find me on Instagram. It's my name at Ethan Lipsitz and then at Love Extremist. Those are the two accounts where I spend the most time. And uh, yeah, I would love to see you. And if you're in the clubhouse community already, please find me, please join the Love Extremist Club. And we'll be hosting conversations just like this one every, every, almost every day now. That's awesome, man. Well, I really, really appreciate your time today. It's great to have a little chat with you. I look forward to many, many more. I, I can't wait to see. Uh, are you working on a car now? I'm working on a bunch of art right now, but I'm moving my studio. So what I'm actually doing is having a studio sale. So if anybody really? hears this and is looking for some art. Let's, uh, get, let's get that art sold. Let's go, yeah, baby. Exactly. Hit me up. Check out my Instagram. I'm selling it all. And it's just my website slash sale and uh, I'm in Highland Park in Los Angeles and I'm, I'm, I'm offering a lot of cool pieces. So check it out. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited for new projects. And if anyone has a car they want me to paint, hit me up because I'm always down for commissions. All right. Is, is that is painting? Do you get to do you do that every day? Is that part of your perfect day? Yep. Yeah, every day I try to get into the studio and I'm working on my painting. And so I'm doing works on paper, on canvas. I paint TVs, I paint instruments, I painted pianos and guitars, and then I paint cars and motorcycles and all sorts of things, murals, all the things. What's the craziest thing you've painted? Oh, man. I think the craziest thing was my Porsche. I mean, I, I or, or my buddy's Ducati. I don't know. Those were both kind of crazy because I... They're, they're fancy things, you know, they're luxury things. And to just start hand painting it, it's like usually people want to preserve it and keep it pristine. And not yeah. to say my art doesn't add value, but it definitely changes the vibe. <laughs> well, I, I would argue that it makes it more pristine 
and more special because it's got your love and passion all over it. Thank and that's you. a beautiful thing. You're an incredible person, a, a real can-doer, somebody that motivates me and is incredibly grateful. I, I said this before, I'll say it again. I'm so proud of what you've done, how you've overcome it, and always kept your positive attitude and smiling. And I know not every day is easy, but you've handled it with grace and class and motivated and shared love with everybody. And it's, it's really awesome, man. It really is. And I thank you so much for being on, on our little show here, the Can Do Show. And again, I, I look forward to a long lasting relationship, Ethan. Me too, Adam. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful rest of your day. And I can't wait to hear this when it's out. And I'll see you real soon. You got it. Actually, I'm going today. This is cool. I'm very excited. I don't know if I told you, but I'm getting the, uh, I told you, I'm getting the COVID shot. Oh, amazing. Congrats. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm going down there today at 2.45 and uh, we'll see. We got to, you know, we'll see how it goes. But, but I'm real excited. I call it the fun shot because that'll open up the doors to a lot more fun things. Hopefully we'll get some restaurants back open mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we can start to live a new normal life is what they say. Yeah, I hope so. Well, congrats. Yeah. That's, that's awesome, Adam. Thank you, my man. It's great to have you. We'll be in touch real soon. Thanks awesome. again, buddy. Thank you. So, Take so care. nice to chat with you. Thanks again. You too. Take care. You're Peace. the man. Have a great rest of the week.